And I want to invite you to turn once again to First uh, Peter chapter 2. This time, First Peter uh, chapter 2. And we are this morning going back to uh, chapter 2. We've been proceeding chapter 1, chapter 2. Now, last week we jumped ahead to chapter 5 of First Peter as we as we talked about the type of service that God calls leadership within the church to. It is a, a service of shepherding. But now we're back to that place where you know, Peter has been encouraging God's people and helping them to see how God would have them live their lives day after day and serve Him in this world. And I emphasize those words, in this world world. This, this is a teaching. We're just looking at two verses this morning, verses 11 and 12. And as we look at those uh, verses, this is a teaching that I believe that the church at large desperately needs today. And uh, it's really answering this question. How do we live in the world, but not as those who are of the world? How do we live in the world, but not as those who are of the world? That's what God calls us to. And, and Peter is going to instruct us in this by giving what I, I'm going to call it a new pattern of living, even a, a new lifestyle. Uh, just these two verses that we're looking at this morning. Now, he's going to introduce that this morning. Uh, but then in the next couple of chapters, which we'll cover over the next uh, few weeks, He'll give direct application to this through the various relationships that we can have in, in our society in which we live, uh, such as how are we as Christians to live under our government, especially a, a secular government. That's a big one today. Uh, also, what about with employers and those kinds of relationships? especially when there is injustice in the one that we are serving. And we're going to get to those and, and others in the coming weeks. But this morning, Peter is really just sort of introducing this topic. And so the question that he's going to address and give the answer to is going to be more general, and that's this. How do we live amongst and, and relate to unbelievers uh, in this world and all the different circles. Uh, what new pattern of living do we adopt into our lives as those who are set apart by the Lord? Uh, now, leading up to this passage, just before uh, chapter 11, a couple of weeks ago we had looked at it, but Peter has been describing, or he had just described, this exalted status that Christians are able to have as, as God's people. He said that they, they are people who are uh, uh, chosen by Him, who are in this privileged fellowship together with Him, who are a priestly people, now able to have direct communication, direct relationship to Him, a people who have received grace in His favor. And now, beginning with the verses that follow these now, verses 11 and 12, I, I think we get an indication here of why 
Peter was reminding his audience that they have this exalted uh, or privileged status with the Lord. And it's probably not what you might first think. Uh, it is in order to prepare them or to prepare us for our lowly service in this world. It's specifically because we are in this exalted position in relationship with the Lord, belonging to Him, a people for His own possession, that we now have freedom to truly love and to serve others in a way that's completely different from that of the world. And it's a way that the Lord Jesus lived and modeled for us. Uh, and, and Peter's going to give that to us later uh, in chapter 2 and in uh, later chapters uh, as well. But uh, right here, this is what these two verses are about, really how to live a, new, a, a lifestyle of lowly service that's enabled because of who we are in Christ and that's useful to the Lord in carrying out His mission, which becomes our mission in this world. Uh, so, you know, I think enough said. I'm going to read uh, chapter 2, uh, beginning in verse 11. Peter says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Please join with me in prayer. Father, we thank you for this passage. We thank you that we can be confident, Lord, that this is what we need in this challenging area, in this area in which many of us here, Lord, may have, have questions. We may feel like at times we err on one side or we err on the other side, and we need to hear from you, to hear from your word about how we are to proceed. So help us to have understanding, we pray, by your Spirit, and help us, therefore, to take these things, to, to apply them to our, our hearts uh, with a, a desire to honor our Lord in all things. Uh, we do pray for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. When you travel to another country, you, you go there, maybe you spend some time in this foreign country, uh, you're there as a visitor and as a, what the Bible would call a sojourner. Uh, when you do that, there is a certain attitude that naturally, or at least that should, come along with that as a visitor. Uh, just about a week ago, uh, our family was together with a number who, of, of people who had come to uh, uh, Amy's dad's funeral. Uh, and it was a challenging time uh, for the family, of course. But after the funeral, we had the opportunity to get together with a number of the family and friends uh, who had been there and who had traveled, some of them, uh, quite a ways to be there. And there was a man there who was of uh, Vietnamese descent, uh, whom I had not seen, Amy had not seen, 
since our wedding day, which was 33 years ago. Uh, so it's been a long time. Uh, Amy ha had the opportunity to grow up with this man uh, in, and spend time with him and know him. Uh, I spent a, quite a while uh, talking to him when we were together last week, and uh, I knew that Amy's grandparents on her dad's side had been very instrumental in helping this man's family to immigrate from Vietnam uh, to the U.S. They, they came over on a, on a boat at a certain time in the 70s. They came with nothing, uh, and so her grandparents helped with uh, a place to stay, with getting jobs, with learning the language, and, and all the other uh, needs that they had. Uh, and here this man is, almost 50 years later by my calculations, honoring the later generations of Amy's uh, grandparents and, and just displaying a tremendous heart of thankfulness. And the thing that struck me as I spoke with him was uh, that here he is, he's been in this country for almost 50 years, uh, and uh, yet his attitude that I saw displayed was almost like he had just arrived or his family had just come here. Uh, and even with tears in his eyes as he spoke about uh, what had been done for him, what had been done for his, for his family. Now, today he's got a, a wonderful job. He works at Georgia Tech. He, he's got a, a home. He speaks the language well. All of the things that uh, somebody who uh, is a citizen of the country uh, often has. Uh, yet with him, there was no pretension about him when I spoke with him, no sense of entitlement, no sense of, of rights, but there was just a heart that was overflowing with thankfulness uh, toward this family that had helped his family so many years ago. He wept at the loss of Amy's dad. Uh, it was almost as if even though he lives in this country and he, he relates to those and is involved in the various aspects, society's aspects, but it was almost as if he knew in a way in his mind that he was not of this place. Uh, I noticed within him this heart of humility and a heart and desire, like I said, to give thanks and even to serve uh, this family that he was there with. Now, that's similar, I believe, to the mindset that Peter has in this passage, and the, that he's telling that the audience, his audience, believers in all of these churches that are scattered uh, to have. He says, this is to be you as well. Now, the, these people are struggling to relate to the unbelievers around them because they've been facing resentment and hostility and ill treatment on account of their faith, largely. And so, of course, their questions would have been, well, what are we to do? Are we to fight back? Uh, do we take our, our grievances and our, our demands to the Roman government? Uh, do we stand upon our rights? How do we deal with these injustices that we face? Uh, you know, I think many of us here, even though it's a different time, there are different issues, but many of us here may have some of the same types of questions. How do we reckon with uh, a government that, when it comes to morality, 
uh, is often very different from where we stand, very different from our thinking, our desires. Uh, what about with family members or people in the workplace who may treat us with hostility because we are of the faith? What is the overriding principle that should guide our response, uh, that we might respond in a way that the Lord leads us to and that He shows us? Uh, well, Peter's answer begins in this way. It begins by recognizing, as he says to the people, this is not your home. That's extremely important to begin with. He says, this is verse 11, Beloved, yeah, he's, he's aligning himself with them. He's saying, you're my beloved just as you are the beloved of the Lord, uh, and I am here with you. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, as those who are not of this world. And he's going to go on to say, I urge you to live differently, to have a different response. Now remember, that he's already brought their status, our status, the status that we were able to have as, as believers. He, he's told them what really matters about who they are and about who they belong to. And he said, in essence, you are no longer of this world. You're a holy nation, a people who are set apart for God's own possession. It's another way of saying you're in bondage now to him. You're no longer in bondage to sin and to the idols of this world. You've got a new master, a new king. And he wants us to know that changes everything about how we respond and relate to people in the world around us. It has the effect of freeing you. You've got a brand new freedom, and it's a freedom to love those who are of the world and to love your brother and your sister in Christ, a freedom that you didn't have before. You're no longer blinded by sinful selfishness, but you've been freed to love. In a way, it's like this Vietnamese man that I was speaking about who seemed to be approaching life here in the U.S. from the outside, remaining a sojourner with a heart of thanksgiving and not a heart of, of entitlement. Uh, but the spirit of this world is one in which individuals and groups stand upon their rights. I mean, generally speaking, that is the path to freedom and to liberty. Uh, it's built into our Constitution, the Constitution of our nation. But Peter is preaching a different approach to freedom and to liberty. Because you're in bondage to, to the Lord, you've now been given a freedom to, to love others. And it's important to recognize that freedom to love others in a brand new way comes out of this. It comes out of the bondage to God. Uh, and now it's no longer a bondage to self so that even in the face of hostility coming from others directed toward us, even in the face of injustices that we may face, you've been given 
If you are in Christ, you've been given the freedom to have a completely different response from that of the world. And so in today's passage, now this, this response is going to take a, 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 the general principles there, but it'll take different forms depending on the relationships that we're talking about. But in today's passage, that, that response takes the form of caring for the souls of unbelievers, caring about their eternal destinies. And it's, it's provided for us, or it's helped, Peter says, when we live in a particular way, when we live in a way in which our lives become attractive to others, they attract others to the gospel. Uh, you could call this lifestyle evangelism. Uh, words are always needed for someone to truly come to Christ, yet the Lord uses believers and their lives when they're lived in a particular way to be a, a beckoning call uh, to others. And in order to live this way, in order to live in a way that attracts others to the gospel, uh, Peter is going to make two appeals to us. And in making these appeals, he's calling us, notice, to a particular pattern of life, a, a way of life. And those appeals are, first of all, look at verse 11, the first one is verse 11, second one especially verse 12, those appeals are to, number one, abstain from sinful worldly passions. This one is about holding back, abstaining. And the second one is kind of the opposite. It's, it's moving forward. It's serving others through good works. Abstain, first of all. Abstain from sinful worldly passions. Now, Peter is calling us here in in this passage, especially in this verse, to something that sets us apart from those who are around us. In fact, he calls Christians here to be warriors, uh, to, to engage in spiritual warfare. He, he doesn't say there might be. Uh, he, he says, he, he talks about it waging war against our soul. There will be spiritual warfare. And he gives this so that, there's a reason, there's a purpose, so that we will be useful to the Lord as instruments of light that will shine in the world. And so he says this, verse 11, Beloved, I urge you, now notice this is not so much a command, almost a, a plea. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. And so that's how we become useful to the Lord that he might gain the glory. We'll see that in the next verse, what he's headed toward. But here's how we do it. We abstain. But what is it that we're abstaining from? Uh, what, what is he talking about when he, he mentions passions of the flesh? Now that may be self-explanatory uh, to, yeah, many things. And, and to many of us here, we may have that thought in our, our mind, that understanding, but sometimes it helps to have a list and something that Paul did really well was he made lists of these things. And one of those places is in uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 15. I'm sorry, verse 19. Galatians 5, 19. And, and so this is one of those lists. And so I'm gonna, as I read this list, think about each of the items in this list and apply them to yourself. Don't think about your neighbor. 
but apply these to yourself and ask the question, is, is this something that I struggle with? And he calls them here works of the flesh. He says they're evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity. And there you can think of hatred or bitterness, strife or conflict, uh, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. In other words, this is not an exhaustive list. You can continue on. Uh, but again, the question, do you struggle with any of these? No, some of these are pretty wide. And so I would ask the question, if, if your answer to that is no, I would ask, have you really looked to see if you might be blind to something in your life? Uh, because undoubtedly, we do. We struggle with uh, these, some of them, not all of them. Thank the Lord for that. Uh, but the question is, are you able to abstain, to hold back on an ongoing basis from these passions? Not an easy question. That's why there's a struggle. That's why there's a, a war. But notice the encouragement that we have here. Notice how we're able to, to win this struggle. It is because if we're in Christ, it's because we are sojourners and exiles. We're no longer of this world. Uh, think about it in this way. If, if you've traveled to a foreign country, one of the things you're going to observe invariably in any foreign country is that the people there, as you just watch, they engage in uh, and enjoy various activities and, and behaviors that are different from you different from your culture, different from what you might engage in. There are things that are ingrained in that culture. They don't even think about them. Uh, but if you remain there long enough, then no doubt you would start doing some of the same things, right? I stayed for a, a, a period of time with a family in Italy many years back. And that family had pasta literally every night for dinner. It was some form of pasta. They put different sauces on it, uh, but spaghetti by many different names. Uh, but they also had wine every night. Everybody in the family, children included, had wine. They would water down the wine a little bit for the children. Uh, but because I wasn't from there, this was something I wasn't used to. Uh, and I never, even after that, I never adopted this as a part of my lifestyle. Uh, pasta every night, wine with every meal or with every dinner. But if I had remained there long enough, I would guess that I would have begin to, begun to take on that for myself. That's what Peter is referring to here. This world is not your home. And so don't engage in passions, sinful passions that are part of this world because it's not a part of you. You're no longer a part of this world. That's what Jesus said in, in John 18. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. You know, Paul in uh, Philippians chapter 3 says something similar. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 13, for here we have no lasting city 
but we seek a city that is to come. What has happened to us if we are in Christ is radical. Uh, it is a complete change. Your heart belongs to another. You are bound to the Lord. And so your desires are for His kingdom. And so Peter is able to say, it's not, he's not saying work this up within yourself. He is able to say abstain or literally distance yourself from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. He's not saying it's easy. He's saying there is warfare involved. But he's saying, do this because you have been enabled. Now, I trust that you know what Peter's talking about here, uh, that it's part of your own experience in some sense. It's when you follow these uh, desires or these pa uh, passions that drive you to do things that you know contradict the new life that you have in Christ. And yet, what is the temptation? It's to even in the moment, to excuse them away, to permit them, to allow them to coexist in your life. But Peter's plea is very clear. Peter says, distance yourself from them. That sinful desire is part of the world that you are no longer of. You are living in the world, but you're not of the world. You've got a new master now. Listen to him, obey him. And, and really there is wonderful encouragement here. Because if you think about it, you've got a new motive, and that motive is powerful, and that is that you love the Lord Jesus. And this comes from the work of the Holy Spirit in you, opening up your eyes to see Him and to desire Him. And even though you struggle with those desires that are of the world, this is greater because this is who you are now. Uh, and He's the one who has won you over the gospel is that your is your foundation he died upon the cross for you he freed you from the dominion of sin the power of sin and so you've experienced his grace and his mercy and that is where your true affections lie is with him and therefore he's saying live out of that and do not continue on. Be transformed, to go to another passage, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you conform to His likeness. Again, Peter's going to give us more instruction on that later, conforming to the Lord Jesus, uh, that He is our, our model, but not only that, that He is our motive that underlies the gospel is true. Now, one point here, when we do this more and more, when we conform no longer to this world, but to Christ, more and more we're going to stand out, as the expression goes, like a sore thumb. But it's then, as we stand out, that we will be more and more a worthy servant when, when the Lord calls us to bear witness by our deeds to the kingdom of light. And that's where Peter's going to go next. Now, the first part of the lifestyle is that we are to abstain from, to, to run away from, if you will, sinful worldly passions. And then secondly, to serve others. And I might use the word sacrificially here, to serve others through good works. Uh, he's calling us to this new pattern of living. 
which involves active service, sacrificial service, so that our lives will speak into others' lives, drawing them to follow Christ. Now, Peter, uh, as he goes through this letter, Peter's constantly, uh, you'll notice, kind of just sprinkling throughout, uh, helping his readers, these churches, to know their purpose, to know their ultimate mission. And I think he knows that when we live our lives without purpose, without mission, we, we fade away. We die. Because God has made us in such a way that we need purpose in order to continue, and, and especially in order to thrive. How many times have you seen people that you know in, in your circle of life languish because you know that they haven't had purpose? They've lacked it in their lives. It's so true within the church as well. And Peter is constantly taking us back to this, back to our purpose, back to our mission, back to our, our goal. You'll remember that he, he did this just before this passage, the, the, the verse that I looked at uh, earlier, verse 9, uh, when he gave that beautiful statement about the nature of God's people. And he said, but, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession." And notice that next word, that, or so that. Uh, he's giving purpose. That you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Peter was setting before them their purpose. He's saying, you're not exalted into this wonderful position just for yourselves. But you've got a wonderful purpose before you, and that is to bear witness to, to give testimony to what Christ has done, what He has accomplished, what He is doing. And notice they were to use words. That's what proclaim is. Uh, you could say uh, proclaim or, or to make known, to declare, to preach. So it is in our current passage that Peter again sets purpose before them. But here... It's within their lives. It's their conduct by which they were to bear witness. Look with me at verse 12. He says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Right there at the end, uh, it's, it's leading to that purpose uh, so in this second exhortation, Peter calls the people to live what he says in an honorable way, to live honorable lives, good lives, godly lives among the Gentiles. And that word there is, is used to mean among the unbelievers. It was used that way even with Gentiles. Uh, it was used, the word Gentile was often used to speak of unbelievers. So that, and notice again those words, so that, their lives, their, their good deeds might bear witness to Christ. That the unbelievers might turn and glorify God on the day of visitation. Now just a, a couple of comments uh, here. 
Peter is speaking to the peop- these people in, in, in the churches. Remember, they are scattered. Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, all, all over uh, what today is Turkey. He's speaking to these people who were receiving ill treatment at the hand of the unbelievers that they were living amongst. Um, we'll see that later in this, in this letter, kind of throughout. They were disliked, we can put it that way, on account of their faith. Uh, this happened in the first century, and this happens today. And know that the more that we live for Christ, the more that we share amongst others the things of God, the more that we share the gospel, the more likely it is that we will face friction and at times outright hostility in the circles in which we live our lives. The truth is the cross is an affront. It's an offense to people. That's what was happening here. That's why Peter says, notice in in the passage, he says, when they speak against you as evildoers. Yet notice what he's saying here. This is interesting. That even though the unbelievers speak against them, even uh, exhibit hatred toward them, that they can still be drawn in or attracted by the lives that they that they live. How does that work? They hate them. They speak evil against them. And yet it says that they can be attracted to them. How do we make sense of that? Uh, you know, the word there that's translated as honorable, it says keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. That same word can also mean, it, it means good. It can mean beautiful or attractive is pointing out that when believers live in obedience to the Lord, true obedience to the Lord, that there is a beauty, there is an attractiveness in their lives which can be observed and seen uh, even by unbelievers who may inside detest the person, maybe because of the message. If you're familiar with uh, the God-fearing woman, in Proverbs 31. If you're not familiar with that passage, go and read it. Uh, but if you're familiar with it, you can't read the description of, of this woman without seeing the inherent beauty of a life that's being lived in this way. A life that, that draws you into it. Because here's the truth, that true godly character has a beauty that cannot be denied. We see it with other characters in the Bible. Think about Daniel. He had many men against him who hated him, yet they couldn't deny the life that he lived, the character that he had. And so it is with any person with whom an unbeliever interacts. When they're able to see their character on display, and it's a a character, a godly character in the midst of life, and the Lord can use that as a means to uh, draw in the person, to prepare the person for hearing the gospel, to prepare them to respond to it. And I I think we could probably go around uh, and raise a hand and and talk about some of those that we know in our lives, uh, maybe before some of us here came to faith, those whom we saw, we saw their lives on display, and there was an attractiveness there. There was a something that caused us to ask the question, where does that come from? 
I need that for myself. Even if the message that they brought may have turned our hearts away at that time, but it was preparing our hearts to us. Now that's the person right there that Peter is calling for us to be. The one who is willing to be spoken against as evil. The one who's willing to be hated or even experience injustice and yet who desires from that same person, from those same people, the salvation of the unbeliever and a willingness to serve them in that capacity. Peter urges us here and throughout this whole passage not to stand upon our rights, not to strike back in anger, but to see that there's something far bigger at stake here, to love the unbeliever, that they might see our good deeds, see our godly character, and glorify God on the day of visitation. What about that day of visitation? Now, one thing that it could be, it could be speaking about the point of conversion when the Holy Spirit comes in, visits a person, but far more likely, based upon the context and, and where Peter has gone before, as he's talked about the return of Christ again and again, it's almost certainly he's speaking about the final judgment here, the point at which Christ returns. A point at which, and uh, this is what Jesus has to say in Matthew 25, a point at which some will inherit the kingdom that's prepared for them before the foundation of the world. And yet others, he says, will depart into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. It's clear, it's one or the other, and it's real. The day of visitation. And so Peter calls us to love and to serve others by living such good lives among those who don't know the Lord that even though they may hear that message and they may not like it and they may accuse us of evil deeds, that they might observe our lives and say, what is it that this person has? It's attractive. I want to find out. Now, you may hear that. You may say, I don't think I have that in me. Uh, I don't have that kind of a, a witness for others. Well, that's exactly why Peter is giving us these exhortations. Because it's not something that we are to work up within ourselves. In fact, if we do that, then what are we doing? What are we putting before the person? Uh, it's ourselves rather than the Lord Jesus. No, what he's calling us here to is to live the life of a Christian. And day after day, to do these two things. One of them is to hold back, to abstain from, but out of the motive that we have as we look to Christ, to abstain from those sinful passions, sinful uh, desires. That's one. And then the other is to live lives before Him, good deeds. Now, we'll say anytime we, we, we hear those, those words, good deeds, Sometimes there's a flag that goes up in our mind that we say, we're, we're not supposed to do good deeds. Uh, remember, that is good deeds for what motive? For earning, merit, meriting salvation. 
But once we know the Lord, we're in relationship with Him, He gives us that as a gift uh, that we might live our lives before others, doing good deeds, loving the Lord, loving others. That's something that stands out, doesn't it? When we love others uh, in a way that the world would never, when we experience injustice and we experience uh, hostility toward ourselves, and yet we still love the other person enough to care about their eternal destiny and to serve them. That's what he's calling us to. And he says, as you live the Christian life, and as you live out using the means of grace, and, and live out the way that I have provided for you too, you will become that light on a hill. You will become the one that is attractive even to those who are turned away from your message. Uh, and we got to know that Peter, when he was saying these words, that he had in his mind what Jesus said right near the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And so I'm going to finish with these words this morning. This is the life that we are to live. Uh, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And just a reminder there, he's not saying that that's, that's all, that it's just our lives. The gospel is needed and it needs words to be shared, but it opens up that opportunity for people to hear and to know, well, that's the key right there. It is the Lord Jesus. He's the one that I need for myself. Let me say a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you this morning uh, for the good gifts that you give. Uh, Lord, we thank you that you provide for this. You provide for these things. We can see ourselves as being incapable, perhaps as being unworthy. And yet, Lord, you, you call us to look to you uh, and to know that as we live in this way before you, depending upon you, that you will cause us to be that light uh, that draws, that attracts, uh, that others might see and might come to know you. And you plant in our hearts that desire for others that they might know you, a desire which before we never would have had. Uh, so we do pray for your help in this process. Help us as individuals to be that light on a hill. But Lord, even in a greater way, help us as a communion of faith, as your church, to be that true light on a hill uh, that draws people and that's ready to share the gospel for the people who need it. We pray this in Jesus' name.